Here we go. Hurrah! And this little guy came bursting through the doors and he was sort of skipping towards me down the hall. And I thought he was going to go right past me, but as he was getting closer, he went right in front of me, grabbed both of my hands in his, and looked up into my eyes and he just said, Where are your songs? And, and I have to ask, Peter, you've got the Peter Puffin's Whale Tales concert series. Does anyone ever give you any guff that you're quite a few thousand kilometers away from the closest Atlantic Puffin being based in Alberta? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like a Pixar movie or something yes. where there's just different levels. Mm. And, and so yeah. once again, I learned, I'm learning so much from him. And when he's not looking, I actually use some of his same lines. <laughs> oh, did he hear that? Copyright. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> we can edit and that actually, part you know, In fact, I'm, I'm at the end of the <laughs> concert, one of the kids comes up and says, I bet my friend here that you're Peter's dad. <laughs> <laughs> can, tell me, is it true? I, I'm sure. You're, you're, <laughs> you're Peter's dad, right? Oh, kids are annoying. No. Hello. And welcome to Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating EnviroEd ideas. We're here to share with you the best environmental education resources available from across Canada and chat with their creators, digging in as to why they do this work, how they do it, and what you can do with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm the Wild Voices Program Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM for short, and owner of Stoked on Science, an education company where I deliver environmental and science programs for kindergarten to adults across BC. And I'm another one of your hosts, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, a global network of environmental educators that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. I had my colleagues in the schools coming, whatever you did with so-and-so's class yesterday, can you come and do that with mine? And and so we just started, you know, whatever class they were supposed to, whatever subject they were supposed to be teaching at the time, that's what we would write a simple blues song about, give them some percussion instruments, record it, and then just to see the look on the kids' faces when they can hear their own voices, uh, lyrics that they've written themselves, they hear that coming back to them from the speakers, it, just the boost in self-esteem, you know the concepts have been more deeply ingrained. I just thought, okay, we're on to something. I have to keep chasing this. I am a bit handsy, so if it's distracting, you can... Um... Oh, that's okay. I, it's it's originally just going to be audio anyway, so that's fine. Ex yeah, exactly. exactly. This is just us. Sort of. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And then we screenshot it. They're picking our nose or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What so have we got in the background? But... Yeah. And, and what are you wearing for pants? Oh, um, I, have, I have proper thermals. pants. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm pajama from the waist down, but only because I was out teaching in the snow all day and I uh, wanted to retain my warm layer. Okay, so welcome uh, to this episode of Earthy Chats, uh, cross-pollination in EnviroEd Ideas. This month, we're joined by two really incredible guests. We've got some environmental songsters joining us. First, we have Remy Rodin. He's a bilingual, rich-voiced teacher and biologist who's committed to helping children learn about nature. Uh, he's a songwriter and 
does musical shows and has many years experience as an adventurer, camp leader, educator and entertainer. Uh, and he's you know uniquely positioned to delight family audiences. He's got a couple of albums. Uh, the first one, Think About the Planet in 1997. It's just proved an enduring classic with songs about biodiversity, invasive species and more. Uh, the song What's That Habitat, which we might hear later, is part of the United Nations music compilation to celebrate the Earth Charter. And the title track is part of the playlist for the planet. Remy's wrapped up production of his latest Not For Kids Only environmental songs album, which is called Think About The Wild. He's been on stage all over the country, but resides in the Yukon. And then... Our second guest today is Peter Lenton, otherwise known as Peter Puffin. He's a Juno award-winning guitar slinger songwriter uh, who engages in interactive sing-along, action-along experiences uh, where audiences that join one of his shows lead and write songs, play instruments, wear wacky costumes. It's all very exciting. Peter has shared stages with Jane Goodall, David Suzuki, Stephen Lewis, Fred Penner, and... Uh, his mischievous mix of storytelling, thrilling singing and skillful guitar playing make for concert gold. Uh, so welcome to you both. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's very exciting to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. OK. So, I mean, I'm always really interested in where people have come from and what has led them to this point. So I wonder if you could share with me uh, where you grew up and, you know, what that upbringing was like. Was it full of nature and music or one or neither? Well, I was very lucky to be a military brat, an Air Force brat. So I lived somewhere different every three years. And nature is a, a thread that runs through all of those experiences. Uh, living in West Germany, I would get up early on a Saturday morning, hop on my bike, start riding out across the cobblestone streets eventually get out into the country where there were vineyards and castles and birdsong. And so I loved being outdoors all the time. That was super fantastic. Also spent some time in Goose Bay, Labrador, where one of my early outdoor education experiences was thinking I could build a swimming pool in my backyard. And uh, after probably a couple of hours of work, uh, some years later, I saw a photo of myself standing in a mud hole that was about six inches deep. So uh, perspective changes as we get uh, more and more vintage. And one of the most salient experiences of, of really connecting with nature for the first time came when I was on a, a university field course doing my undergrad at Queen's and we were up in Algonquin Park. And after a full day of identifying anything that was living, we would have to sit beside a lake with a journal and a pencil for a full half hour. And on the first couple of nights, I just couldn't sit still. I'd never had that experience before. And then about halfway through the second night, there was like kind of a whoosh or a whoosh experience where I just felt connected to everything that was going on. And all the senses came alive. You know, you noticed you could hear the sound of of wind being force flapped by the wings of ducks and you know you'd notice ants moving around in the pine needles and ever since then I've been very tuned in to nature wherever I go and uh, it's it's something that uh, 
it, it, it's absolutely a joy to get to try and encourage kids and families to spend as much time outside as possible. Oh, thank you. Uh, that was such a, a beautiful and mesmerizing image. And in my work as an environmental educator, we do a lot of nature journaling and trying to uh, and sit spots. So they have a spot they go back to in the same place and, and do exactly what that experience you had. And for me, that came much later in life. But I love that, like, whoosh, that revelationary moment where you, you realize you're not separate from the environment, but part of it. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. How about you, Remy? You know, Peter has such a great uh, way with the words and, and uh, conjuring up all those, uh, those moments. For me, I uh, grew up partly in Montreal. And so my grandparents uh, on my mother's side lived on a farm just on the outskirts of Kingston. Uh, it's since been enveloped by the city. And being the youngest of the youngest in my family, I was alone a lot, at least for other childhood friends and, and family. So I'd wander around the back and watch the muskrats and build their, their homes. And, and uh, there's a little, little crick, as they called it, in the back and go watch <laughs> the water skimmers and build dams and all that sort of thing. So I had a lot of nature time there, including getting, uh, you know, big thorns in me from the hawthorn bushes and <laughs> things like that. Um, <clears throat> so that was, that was sort of the real nature connection. And then uh, in my teen years, we lived in a small town in Ontario. And I was often out on the weekends with snowshoes and kicking around uh, seeing what there could be and I also have a, six, a sister who's nine years older than me that had gone out to the mountains of BC living the, the back to the land lifestyle so she was a great inspiration as well yeah so those are my childhood nature experiences and of course uh, like Peter through university actually uh, also went to Queens and I was in the outdoor and experiential education program there and uh, we had innumerable uh, outdoor experiences like that where we had a chance to reflect and uh, consider what was going on in, around us and within us as well. That's a, a beautiful thing I think to yeah when you talk about reflection right it, it's it's not external it's it's a part of who we are and, and being able to engage with that is, is pretty magical and for me deeply music is a way I, I feel like it's the universal connector um, I was telling Ian about this research that I'd seen where they put heart rate monitors on hundreds of people in the Royal Albert Hall in London uh, and started playing, I think it was classical music. And within a few minutes, everyone's heartbeats had synchronised. Mm. So everybody was, 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 you know, was, was a part of a, a, a collective experience, which, which just blows my mind. So I, I greatly appreciate the way that your experiences have connected with music and what you do so you know talking of that process in the music what comes first is it is it lyrics or, or music do you do both at once um do, do one of you do you write together or separately and then share the music well uh remy and i have often spoken about writing together and uh it's one of our kinds of uh dreams to to work on in the next little while you're sort of capturing the Enviro songsters almost at their birth. Um, we've we've done a couple of two or three tours together in, in the Yukon. It was only supposed to be one, but it was so popular, and we had so many requests afterwards that we've done three different legs now, and uh, we've had lots of ideas. Uh, not enough time really yet to do the co-songwriting. Did some collaboration on teaching videos that are on our YouTube 
learning channel now that um, people can find. So it's sort of a mix of songs and activities that teachers can do. In terms of the actual process of, of writing songs, for me, it's definitely the lyrics that come first. I, I always carry a, a journal with me. It was nice to hear about your journaling experiences. And uh, often the, um, I'm trying to write down in sort of a poetic way interesting everyday experiences because mm. I'm trying to create songs that will be um, accessible or interesting to the, the largest number of people. And uh, so usually I'll, I'll try to capture events or neat things that happen and then I go back and gradually try to craft those into lyrics that might eventually fit into a song. Melodies usually come later and sometimes they're fairly quick but usually it's a it's a case of of things evolving over time and you gradually polish them and 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 one of the best experiences one of the best approaches I find for getting songs ready to actually record in the studio is to have a set of lyrics and some music and then take it on tour because they evolve mm -hmm. with every audience right depending on which parts of the song cause the most both either amusement or poignant mm -hmm. reactions and you try singing them slightly different differently each time you play for an audience of kids and teachers or, or parents and so if you take a song on tour by the time you get back it, it's uh, started to gel a little bit and when you go into the studio you're still capturing really a snapshot of a, of a musical piece that's always going to be evolving but it's it, it, it's a little better than when it was first born that's awesome i like that morphing as things progress and and the live audience shaping how you how you record things because i think live music is the best um but how about you remy what, what what's what's your process a bit like Myself, uh, I've uh, had a full-time uh, career as an environmental educator with the Yukon government, which I've just recently left and to move on to other things. But right as Ooh. right at COVID times, starting to to uh, you know do the do the school tours that got cancelled and the <laughs> the summer festivals and so on. But just to say, like I've been writing songs uh, since I was a teenager. Just seemed to be actually, I remember writing my first song when I was about six. I just didn't have the tools to actually develop the music. So when I was 16, my mother went and marched me into a music store and insisted on buying me a guitar, at which point after 10 lessons with the guy that lived down the street, I was able to start suddenly, wah, when I was 16 or 17, I had tons of songs that just kind of came out and they were very, quite spontaneous actually, just expressing teenage angst and all that sort of thing. Some of them aren't so bad actually, looking back. And then uh, sometimes the songs in the years have come, it's magic when it happens, when it just, the, the, the music and the, the words and everything just all kind of come spilling out and you have no idea where it comes from. Oh. Uh, there's, a, there's a few songs on my uh, more adult album that came out a while back that were like that. That's kind of magic. But when it comes to the, 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 the kids' songs, it's a little more, so I'm, I'm coming up with a topic and then I work on what in the industry we call a hook, you know, the, the, the catchy chorus. So that's sort of what that starts with that. So I get something that fits with the theme and then the, the melody of the verses sort of comes out after I have that hook that sort of fits. And usually there's a bridge as well. And uh, the words have to work on the words to make sure. And because we're, I'm trying to make it entertaining as well as educational. So mm -hmm. 
that does take a little time as peter uh, said you know for things to to come together so it, it's fun it's not too complicated perhaps but not dumbed down too much I mean, there's a fine balance of of all those things of making it fun entertaining uh, but also educational and not too too much you know at the same time i don't know if i always achieve that but that's sort of the aim <laughs> oh, well i love everything i've seen and i think if you've got like you say an educational you know, you've got facts that you've got to deliver. You've got to share real information. Uh, being able to do that in an engaging way is is like pretty magic to me. So I think that's pretty awesome. Re- Remy was reminding me of, of how experiences with kids and, and audiences can be an incredible inspiration for songs. Like I, I was up north a little while ago and we had had a wonderful concert where everybody joined in. The, the families were all there. It was in kind of a, a community hall. And I'd loaded all my gear back out to the old Volvo wagon that I was driving in those days and was walking back into the school to say thank you to the principal and the people who had organized the concert. And this little guy came bursting through the doors and he was sort of skipping towards me down the hall. And I thought he was going to go right past me, but as he was getting closer, he went right in front of me grabbed both of my hands and his and looked up into my eyes and he just said where are your songs and and it really caught me off guard I I remember I'm having the shivers down my back again that this little guy was was so interested in this he's holding on to my hands and I'm trying to think of a good answer for such an amazing question and and so I said well uh they're in my guitar case they're in my journals and on a night like tonight they're in my heart when I can hear all you guys mm. singing and it's a really great feeling and, and without missing a beat I could feel his hands squeeze my hands even more tightly in his um, after he'd heard me say that word heart and then he said well now they're in my heart too and then he went oh. skipping down the hall oh. and that actually in, inspired a song called Kid Hearts because kid, kid hearts, the kids are just so musical already. And often our job, uh, as you were alluding to, Remy, I think is just to um, kind of channel and, mm. and keep them going, keep resonating, give, give them ideas on how to share the gifts that they haven't learned how to suppress yet. That's it, right? So I always feel like it's always like unzipping it. Like it's all there. You just got to undo the stiff zip so that it can pour out of them. What a beautiful story, a moment though. Those 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 moments where kids stay with you forever, don't they? They shape they sure how you are. Was there any point where either of you were like into like techno or death metal, or <laughs> that you were writing songs that were like really <laughs> different to where you're at now, or has this kind of always been that sort of acoustic uh, vibe that's that's worked for you? I've I've played briefly in a couple of electric bands that were kind of uh, R and B or blues based, and uh, the first experience with that was in high school when uh, our principal, who was much beloved, was retiring, and so we all took on the personas of the Blues Brothers, you know, oh, Bel- nice. Belushi, and and so we were all dressed up in sunglasses, and this was grade twelve. And we'd written a simple blues song about him and the newspapers were there and, you know, we were all on stage with guitars and stuff. So it was really a a dream come true for us. And I had a similar experience working as a program teacher in a residential outdoor ed setting where I played in a band. But uh, but mostly it's been, been acoustic music that we have the control, we have a sound system for and we have 
we have control over the volume. So if uh, kids ever start to get out of hand, we can just turn it up louder. Yeah, turn it up to 11. Oh, the days of live shows. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, what is who that? Who remembers that? That was nice, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, from Lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, like, I'd love to throw in all sorts of different genres if I could. I'm just not right up to scratch on a lot of them. Like, uh, you know, I feel a little preposterous trying to do a hip-hop song myself right now because I just don't know it. Um, metal. And answer your question, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the fantasies go wild and it's just another way of reaching a different sector as well. You know, exactly. so in kids, kids, kids are not all folkies folks, you know, they like, they like to hear all different kinds of music. So mm-hmm. that's, that's why in the production on the albums, to so try to keep a little bit of a variety, it's still what you'd call, I guess, in the folk genre, but, you know, with a bit of blues or a little bit of and same thing yeah. with Peter uh, or, um, yeah, changing the rhythms and the tempo and the, and the, the approaches is really important, I think, too. You don't want to. The, the kind of the same sound all the way through mm. and I thought the fish song um, I will listen to that as well I thought that's got almost like a sort of rhythmic rapping style to the delivery and the speed at which you you deliver so that's pretty cool too okay <laughs> and and it, it's often who you choose to collaborate with to right Remy like the people we invite into the studio to play along with the songs can often take them in quite a different direction you know adding a little bit of jazz touches or i i've always tried to you know it's that idea of surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you will will pull you up same thing in the studio i try to find the best possible musicians and background singers harmony singers that would be an absolute dream to sing with live and the way it goes these days if you have a budget through a grant People are happy to, to collaborate. So it's, it's, it's absolutely a dream to watch how a fairly simple song musically, which will probably have some pretty specific lyrical intentions and sort of curriculum tied content can morph into this whole other thing once you invite other people to sing and play on it. Wouldn't you say, Remy? Oh yeah, no. That's I mean, as a as a musician, that's one of the most fun things when you get 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 that chemistry, uh, if you will, of the different performers and everyone adding their own little touch. Hello there. Are you looking to be part of a great? Just kidding. That's not my real voice. This is Ian. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. Now, don't ever wish a world without fish because they're slippy and slimy. Cause each little fish has its own special niche in clear living waters and streams that are grimy. The fish is our neighbor, it could be our lunch. The fish is a creature I like a whole bunch. Fish deserve our respect. They're part of the web that keeps us all fed. One fish eats another, and then it's our dinner. They're pretty to look at, amazing to see on their own, or up under a lake stream or river. They're absolutely fascinating. For adaptations, I give them a rating. Fish deserve our respect. So why should we care about fish? Fish! Like everything in nature, they have a part to play. So why 
should we care about fish? Fascinating creatures with extraordinary Getting back to the idea of live shows, and obviously most of them are not in person at the moment, but live nonetheless and in real time. I know a big part of the Enviro Songsters act is storytelling, and, and that comes through in the videos that you did through the government of the Yukon. And sort of how do you approach storytelling when it comes to crafting a live show experience? You know, there's, it seems there's always kind of a theme. You know, you need to uh, consider... I guess like telling a good story in any form, you need a good beginning and a good ending and, and you need that kind of narrative arc. So we, uh, we, we attempt to start with a, 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 you know, an upbeat song that'll catch, catch people's attention and then, you know, kind of work through um, and come maybe have a song that's a little quieter later on, a little more contemplative and so on. So there, there's a bit of an art to developing that set list as you're going through. And uh, at least in what we're doing, because it has an environmental message, there is that thread, there is that theme, that story, if you will, uh, going mm -hmm. through. And as well, individual songs may have a story attached. Like I have heard uh, Peter tell that story that he mentioned before in front of a live audience about the, the kid and so on. Um, and an example of a song that I do is uh, Three Simple Rules from my first album. I almost oh, do, yeah. always include that in my, uh, in my songs or in my set. And it was inspired by the words of a, a First Nations elder here in, in Yukon by the name of Art Johns. And uh, he just recently passed away, actually. And uh, both of us were a bit touched by that. And uh, actually, a, a copy of that song we put on the Avaro Songsters uh, webpage, and it's gotten a lot, of, uh, a lot of love, if you will. I think people that knew Art, but also being shared around. So those kind of little mini stories that get attached to the, the songs for context are really important, as well as, uh, you know, just sort of kind of the overall theme and arc of a, of a concert. And that really is the pathway to the heart, isn't it? You mentioned, Peter, about mm. uh, how that young man asked about where you hit, hid your songs, and he, you said that they were in your heart, and he said they were in his heart as well. And storytelling is such a direct entry point right into that emotional core. I, it, it truly is, and uh, it's it's something I, I think we could do more of, both with our families as well as educators. And I feel like there's a potential that it's a dying art, the story. Everything's visual now, right? And I'm not saying that that's, that's a negative thing, that, that art in a visual, purely visual way isn't great, but the storytelling, the creation, the, the words, I feel like is super important. Well, and, and, and as soon as you start to sound to an audience, especially of, of kids, as mm. though you're open to hearing their stories, you, you, you can just be completely inundated. And they certainly love to do that. They'll tell you about every deer that they just saw right down to the last detail. <laughs> exactly. And they're so honest, too. I mean, that's one of the things about performing to kids is they will tell you. You get that immediate feedback. They'll tell you what they think about it. And do you find that that shapes a live performance as it's going? I mean, do things often go in a totally different direction just based on that immediate feedback that you get from kids? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much a, a give and take with, with your audience and uh, you need to uh, adapt things. Sometimes you'll, that, the story that you're telling, that arc is not work, quite working. Okay, we need something to pep, pep it up right now, you know, this or, or maybe, oh, they're a little bit rowdy. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's time to slow it right down. And uh, so you need to be uh, reactive to the audience or, or interactive, I suppose, and, and, uh, and kind of go with it. I'd like to give a kind of a fun little thing that happened with Peter and I. We were in the, the town of Watson Lake. And uh, um, usually, you know, we have 
kind of a set list and it, it kind of yeah sort of more or less follows the same thing but very atypically uh, suddenly peter gets up and he runs around to the other side of the audience and there's they're backing to a stage like yeah. there's a, a we were on the ground we had the big whale behind us and uh mm. but there's there's i can tell you more about that if you want uh yeah. but then up up onto the, the the stage in the gym and so he's up there and he suddenly leads a song that he has uh from one of his earlier albums called about the the dragonfly and he has everybody turn around and do all the actions and everything it was just just incredible it was really great well it's it's often one of the the best uh sort of tricks or tools of our trade right is is to surprise an audience of kids mm -hmm. you can really get their attention if you do something that surprises them or or something that's borders on being just over the line in terms of the guidelines they're usually following in the school <laughs> so if we're in a smaller setting in a classroom with kids and you want to get their attention um, you know there have been times when I'll jump right up on top of a desk and invariably kids say we're not allowed to be on the desk <laughs> and you know we just say something like well we're in control right now and we're on the desk and you've got every single pair of eyes is trained on you right so it's a great way to hook their attention. I would imagine the whale's a pretty good hook too. I mean, I, I've only just seen it in pictures and videos, and it, it looks like a bowhead whale, if I'm not mistaken. That's the one we were touring with, and I, I have to say yeah. it's, it's the property of the government of Yukon, but I, okay. I think they would let me they would let me borrow it again. Uh, I do have the plans, so if we want to have our own touring model, I can build one. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a bowhead that you saw the pictures of, but we also yeah. uh, had a, a blue whale, which is a third again as large. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, no kidding. Hundred feet. Yeah, but it's 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 a nice backdrop, and it's it's uh, really kind of fun to interpret using that. And Peter usually sings his whale song as well. So, and and I have to ask Peter, you've got the Peter Puffin's Whale Tales concert series. Does anyone ever give you any guff that you're quite a few thousand kilometers away from the closest Atlantic puffin being based in Alberta? <laughs> Very, very astute of you, Ian. Uh, there have <laughs> been a number that. of people. Uh, <laughs> there have been a number of people that have, uh, you know, mentioned things like, uh, "You are pretty far off your migration trail, aren't you?" And uh, so it's um, it, it turned out to be such a sticky name for for kids. It was something that kids really liked. And uh, I, in a former life, was uh, studying whales and puffins. I lived on an island in the Gulf of the St. Lawrence, and we would bring out local kids for a week to teach them about marine bird conservation and whale conservation. And, and music was a big part of those um, experiences combined with all the science we were doing. But that, that notion of getting the kids involved with the concert or getting them involved with their own learning, you know, that kind of experiential thing, mm -hmm. we, would, we would be talking a lot about the science of trying to manage populations or do stewardship of puffins or whales. But then, as, as you can do with music, we want to hook them physically with some kind of action they do. Like whenever we sing the word whale, they do a whoosh, kind of a yeah. spouting sound. And so it's pretty cool to have 500 or 1,000 kids all doing that. And they're just, they're paying more attention because they're listening for the next time that you're going to say that word whale. And it's actually a really neat side effect to see how interested both teachers and parents in a public 
setting are because they I, I'm amazed how often they just sort of forget that they're grown-ups and they start joining in as well so it's a chance for us grown-ups to discover the the kid heart that is still inside us and I, I mean I, I've had grown-ups come up to me and say Peter Peter you have to let me try on the bull trout <laughs> costume and let my wife take a picture because my buddy is gonna love this so so it's it, it's uh, Remy's had lots of these kinds of experiences too where you know we're we're called kids performers but we're we're really trying to focus on lyrical and musical content that's going to appeal to all ages mm -hmm. um and and it really does seem to be working peter's the master of those classic little one-liners that really only the parents get <laughs> or the teachers oh, those are those and, are the best uh, you know you can hear the yeah, you know, it's like a Pixar movie or something yes. where there's just different levels. Mm. And, and so yeah. once again, I learned, I'm learning so much from him. And when he's not looking, I actually use some of his same lines. Oh, did he hear that? Copyright. <laughs> Copyright. Yeah. We can edit and that actually, part you know, out. In fact, I'm, I'm... My, my lawyers will talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually doing a, 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 and I have asked him about this, but uh, this this weekend I'm doing, a, it's to celebrate International Whale Day. Whale Day, I think that <laughs> your listeners will hear this after. But uh, yeah, the whale song will be, be happening. Actually, a live show at the Yukon Art Center. So that's that's kind of fun. But I wanted to add to your, your question um, about being away from whales and puffins. You just have to listen to the song on my new album, which is called We're Connected to the Oceans. And it really says, no matter where we live, there's something we can do. We're always connected to the ocean everywhere we are. So That's so true. That's it. A lot of what I focus on in teaching is the interconnectedness of nature of how everything influences everything and you know music like that that takes them out of because I love place-based education but when you can connect them to a wider space than they're in in a way that resonates with them that's magic that's that's the future right yeah. there yeah and vital and important we all need to have that connection or we're not going to change anything it's so exciting to hear that you're approaching education that way Jade because it you know so often j just by the fact that we sort of package up different topics into subjects and units and yeah. we're, we're kind of putting them in boxes <laughs> right but but you're re reintroducing us to the idea that music can be a great thread running through all of those subjects and there doesn't have to be a wall between each topic that you're doing for half an hour each day and that's a perfect segue look at that <laughs> you just love it who has to plan that, just, plan it's that it's or it's something it's like, it's like we're professionals or something i don't understand something um, like that but no so one of the things i wanted to talk to you about was the cross-curricular benefits of learning through music so both ian and i are both musicians i, I mean i lose i use the term musician very loosely i play the piano i was classically trained um, what I really have is the most respect for people that actually write music I can sight read you can give me a piece of music and I can play it but to create and I grew up listening to jazz and blues so everything was you know interpretation and and playing around themes and you know that's why you are a professional and musicians and, and I'm not is because you have that ability to create something uh, from nothing but for me it's mathematics, right? It's counting, it's being able to tabulate what's coming. It's, you know, I feel like music was cross-curricular for me. Do you, do you feel that, that that's a thing too? 
Yeah, it, it definitely does present itself pretty quickly when you're when you're teaching it, if you're tuned into it at all. I mean, I remember during my very first weeks of uh, practice teaching where I started trying to use theater to teach concepts. So just touching on that idea again, if you can be a little bit notorious with the students in some way, you're most likely to get their attention. So one day I was teaching fractions and I thought, let's try to do this in a theatrical way. <laughs> so I, I asked for two volunteers and two kids jumped up because we'd sung a couple of songs and they were, they were loosening up. And so I said, okay, I'd like you to stand on the desk. Mm -hmm. And so there, one kid got standing up on the desk. And I'd like you to go underneath the desk. And th these two were near the front of the class. And so we used that as a way of demonstrating numerator and denominator, these mm -hmm. two kids that were kind of Googling from uh, standing on the desk where they shouldn't be mm -hmm. and someone who was crouching under the desk, which is another place they, they shouldn't be. And doing it in a more organized fashion that led to finally getting to, to do music full time and, and eventually getting to hear Remy's music and long before I, I got to meet him. Um, I was working in schools in Calgary and I found that if you took the creation of, of simple language arts concepts like a rhyming couplet, doing that with kids and then also doing similes, you know, a comparison using like or as, you could eventually bunch those into verses and fit them with a simple just sort of 12 bar blues pattern. Oh, yes. And if you had the kids repeat that with you, sing along with you a few times, it was much more likely that the concepts you're teaching them, the content that's in the lyrics, would be more deeply ingrained and they would remember it afterwards. So after doing a couple of those sessions, which I was just trying kind of as an experiment, I had my colleagues in the schools coming, whatever you did with so-and-so's class yesterday, can you come and do that with mine? And, and so we just started, you know, whatever class they were supposed to be, whatever subject they were supposed to be teaching at the time, that's what we would write a simple blues song about, give them some percussion instruments, record it, and then just to see the look on the kids' faces when they can hear their own voices, uh, lyrics that they've written themselves, they hear that coming back to them from the speakers, it, just the boost in self-esteem, you know the concepts have been more deeply ingrained. It, I just thought, okay, we're on to something, I have to keep chasing this, you know. Oh, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I don't have a lot more to add to him, what uh, Peter was saying there, but uh, yeah, because that's, that's a good story. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a bit of a knack for this, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Definitely does. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly the whole idea of uh, multiple intelligence. You know, music is one of those, of course, and yep. every person, there are different ways of learning. So the more that you can, can reach them, and, and, and you know, if you've ever seen any of Daniel Levitin's books uh, about how important music is to us as human beings, culturally, hmm. it, it's actually part of who we are and what we are. And it goes goes back. I mean, you've got the the, the rhythm of the, uh, the the heartbeat in the in the, in the womb, mm. and so you know. I mean, it goes right back to that. So that whole and we we soothe ourselves by rocking and moving, uh, as well. It's that that kind of primal beat that continues on. So yeah, for sure. And and whatever that magic is that Peter was talking of, of how you put the words and the music together and gets into the brain somehow, people remember that. You know, in some of our more popular songs. I mean, for me, that what's that habitat? Now I've got, I don't know how many thousands, tens of thousands of kids around the world are 
they know food, water, shelter, and space are the four components of habitat. And some adults, too, are pretty obsessed with yeah. that. Just <laughs> yeah, <myself>. guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quoi, yeah. So, Sorry, anyway, it'll yeah. come later. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and in the, the, the earliest days that Remy and I were getting to share stages, we were invited back, I think, nine or ten years in a row to be a part of the Calgary Mayor's Environmental Expo. And so Remy would be doing a song like Habitat, and he'd say, hey, Peter, do you want to come up and show the students the actions while I sing the song? And, and so we started to get to know each other and sort of develop a rapport, which was really fun for us. And I, and I think when an audience sees performers on a stage that are truly authentically enjoying that interaction, that's really powerful. Um, I think it's also really, really significant for kids to see that two men can work together and be um, mining creativity and being an artist together on a stage. It's just a, a, a different kind of model, that get, a different kind of modeling that gives a, a whole other group of, of the class or the audience uh, something to relate to. You know, they see that, that two men working together can have a lot of fun and, and can express them, themselves and help the audience express themselves. And so, so it's great for kids to see guys collaborating on stage. Absolutely. And we definitely see less uh, male role models, particularly in the elementary school ages. Um, so I, I, I love that. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. From waterproof notepads to binoculars, and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. Not to mention educator resource books to help you take your environmental or outdoor education to the highest level. Proudly brought to you by the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, www.outdoorlearningstore.ca BC's non-profit resource store. I've seen the beauty, seen the beauty of an untouched land. We must nurture the earth just because we can. I've seen the tears, seen the tears from when a great whale dies. Even a caterpillar. Comes a butterfly. Listen now to the children. You seem to know where we need to go. All the lessons we've unlearned somehow. To what extent do you aim for children to be co-creators with you in song-based education? So you talk about, seems to be lots of audience participation in your shows, but, but do you, how important is it that they are the creators like you had in that ex, um, example earlier? Well, kids are, they're going to be more engaged if you're giving them a chance to share their creativity. And uh, I know Remy and I have, have spoken about this a lot, that, that idea that all kids have talents. And if, 
in a lot of cases, if there's not someone who's going to help that youngster discover their talent, sometimes those things never get discovered and the youngster never has a chance to gain the self-esteem or or maybe even uh, develop a sort of an artistic talent that can be turned into a into a vocation one day. With kids, as, as soon as uh, you've got them to the point where they're feeling comfortable to express themselves, it's almost difficult to turn off the tap. You know, they, <laughs> they have so many great ideas, so many kind of sideways, lateral thinking kinds of ideas that both lyrically and musically, I, I know I think I've mentioned this to Remy before too, that I often toil over finding good melodies to go with lyrics, but if if you felt comfortable doing it, you could just follow a kindergartner or a grade one kid around at recess. And just the, <laughs> the tunes they're coming up with spontaneously are fantastic. And so part of our role, I think, is to, is to keep those innate abilities alive mm-hmm. and, and, and crackling and prospering and, and coming out. So when we're in the in the classroom, I mean, I've done some a uh, couple of live workshops together. Kids will have all kinds of great suggestions on what to write a song about. Um, they're quite happy to help you write uh, rhyming couplets and placing similes, uh, enough similes to make up the number of lines that are in a verse of a, a song to which they already know the melody. As much as you can help the kids feel as though it was their creation, the better. And that also translates in, into the live setting as well, where I'll, both in the shows with Remy and, and on my own, will we'll choose a group of, of kids to come up onto stage to help. And usually they, they've become quite comfortable with both our personalities, so half the audience wants to volunteer. <laughs> so, we need, so we need some kind of way of limiting that. So rather than them going, choose me, choose me, and making all kinds of crazy um, raucous uh, noise, we'll, we'll say, okay, we're going to look for volunteers who are sitting cross-legged, mm-hmm. <laughs> hands are folded, backs are nice and straight, eyes are bugged out, and so you get 500 kids that are all looking at you with their <laughs> eyes bugged out, and then you choose, often by intuition, because most of them are following the instructions, you choose kids that are following those instructions, and then you get them up onto the stage, you te- teach them the parts they're going to sing, um, and perhaps they've already rehearsed it. We do it a couple times with them. And then it's really cool. Um, so, you, so you've got them being a full part of what's going on stage. They're not just helping or doing background work. And I will gradually, and Remy's done this too, we will both gradually kind of drift away from the stage if we've got our wireless technology for guitars and mics. And then within a few moments, the kids are left on stage by themselves and they're leading the whole rest of the audience. I love when that happens, that moment where it, where, it sw- where the focus switches. You know, it be, for a while, they don't even realize that the, the performers who were leading the concert at the beginning are now standing at the back playing guitar or, you know, orchestrating from there. So it's neat when that happens. Absolutely. What about teachers who are in sort of resource light environments and maybe they don't have access to all the instruments? Do you ever just use found objects in nature, just go outside, get some rocks and sticks, and come up with a beat? 
Uh, you know, I've not actually done been in a situation where I've done that, but uh, there's certainly no reason why you couldn't. Um, <laughs> and it can go much beyond uh, just, just the found objects. But yeah, brilliant idea. And I haven't has had, had as many hands-on kind of musical workshops as maybe Peter has. There, there are many, many, many ways to make music. Yeah, the sounds, the sounds of the rocks together, the sounds of the, the branches, even just getting getting some live um, recordings outside that could be added to it. Mm. You know, you know, you could go go with your. A lot of kids have phones these days, or you could use your phone and just get get some of the, the sounds, uh, nature sounds that could be incorporated into a rap, like yeah, you know, like you were doing. You know, once again, Peter's the the meister on uh, having worked with schools for so many years. And, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I might anticipate what he's going to say. But what do you have to say, Peter? Well, I, I just wanted to resonate a little bit with, with what you were saying about being out in, in nature. It's a bit of a challenge to do the, the found object kind of thing because uh, some of the younger kids may not differentiate between uh, things that are still living and, and things yeah. so they, they end up picking flowers or pulling branches off or whatever. So it, it's, a, it's a very good question and I, and I appreciate uh, Remy, Remy's kind of uh, hesitant reply to it because you, you do have to be uh, sort of set a, a tone ahead of time about yeah. you know respecting the, the environment that you're in. Sometimes if you've got really sensitive mics when you're recording or uh, you can do a lot of variations on hand clapping, right? Just different, playing mm -hmm. different parts of the body and the mouth if you make different shapes according to how much air you're holding in. And uh, so it's so, sometimes when I don't know exactly what to do with, with an audience, I, I will just offer the question. And then with kids, they often are not restricted by experience like we are. And they sometimes will think of ways of doing things that we may not have thought of yet. And then, of course, we incorporate that into our act like we came up with that idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that part out, too. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit. That'll go in the blooper reel. Stoked on Science. Providing engaging, educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. What's that? Habitat! Say quoi? Labitat! What's that? Habitat! Say quoi? Labitat! Habitat, habitat is where it's at. What's that? Habitat! Say quoi? Labitat! What's that? Habitat! Say quoi? Habitat, habitat is where it's at. Now every living creature needs a place to roam. We all need a shelter we can call our home. We'll die without food and water, it's as simple as that. Well, you put it all together and it's called habitat. What's that? Habitat. Say what? What's that? Habitat. Say what? Habitat, habitat is where it's at. 
And it's food, food. Water. water, shelter, shelter. stay A's food. food, water, water. Shelter. shelter, stay A's food. Water, shelter, stay A's habitat, habitat is where it's at. Just think about that. Just before we kind of look ahead to next steps, you mentioned, Peter, about how education has this bad habit, or at least the sort of modern, modern incarnation of education has this bad habit of boxing things up. Uh, the Enviro Songster community, however, is very far from that. And you've amassed quite a collection of co-collaborators in the Songs for EE project. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what that is, where people can find the information on that? Because there's lots of people and lots of great stuff out there. Yeah, so that that's that's Remy's uh, initiative. And it was one of the things that attracted me to his career arc. Um, I, I, when I, the first way I heard about Remy is that I was contacted by a conference director who said he had this song that he wanted someone to sing as kind of a keynote song. And it happened to be one of Remy's songs, Where, Where a Border Need Not Be. And it was such a, an awesome, awesomely written, awesomely, the, the music in it was so great. Uh, and just the idea that you know, wildlife and living things don't know the same kinds of political borders that we know of as as humans, and and so in the in the process of just learning this song, I thought, geez, I wonder if I'll ever have a chance to meet this man. And, and this was probably two or three years before we ever met, but I have a feeling that was the seed that uh, led to us, um, you know, annually just crossing paths and always kind of catching up and finding a way to collaborate. But before I even met Remy, I was aware of this website or, or sort of listserv that Remy was running where he was uh, collecting songs by all kinds of other artists. And maybe Remy, you're the best to describe the, the history. Sure. Yeah. So having been in as a professional environmental educator with the Yukon government, I uh, had the, the, the great honor and privilege of being able to go to many of the environmental education conferences around, around the country. And one of the great attractions for me and a lot of people are the after hours uh, music sessions. And we discovered that a lot of people had some wonderful songs for environmental education, songs that could be uh, could be sung that would get across the ideas. And this one, I was sort of just starting out myself as a writing environmental songs. And, and so uh, it was 1997, I think, in uh, the North American Association for Environmental Education and the Canadian Network for Environmental Education and Communication got together, and we there was a group of us said, "Let's how can we collaborate more? How can we share?" And this was just sort of at the the beginnings of the internet. So uh, I found a, 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 a free place to build a website at the time. It was called GeoCities. I remember that. Remember GeoCities and a fascinating, <laughs> really network of, of folks. It actually lives on. Somebody built it again under uh, or saved it. It's called Rio Cities. if you ever want to look at it, because it was just a fascinating collection of, of stuff. And so Songs for Environmental Education was the one that, uh, the, one of the ones on there. Uh, it was at 2400 vines they, they they'd set the whole thing up like uh, like a community with street names and 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 different subdivisions <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> if you recall had to get um, an urban planner yeah <laughs> that service ended uh but so it migrated we i've got it on a wordpress site now it's called songs for e songs for ee which is environmental education of course songs for ee.wordpress.com 
course, this being the day of social media as well, we started a, a, a Facebook page as well. So mostly uh, there, there are quite a few people in that and we occasionally get them posting. Mostly it's me just gathering so, uh, news about environmental performers or so on that, that go on the, the Facebook page. But going back to the web page, uh, we collected listings of all different kind of performers that specialize in environmental music. It's quite a number out there. It's quite amazing, actually, from all parts of the world. Yeah, it's totally international. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, on, in the news, we actually get most from uh, from Asia. Uh, they, they, it's a big thing yeah. in India and uh, Philippines and so on for the big rock stars to be performing songs that promote environmental causes. Oh, that's cool. It's Marvin Gaye and what's going on and talking about real real world issues. It's like that's beautiful that there's I don't know if you've listened to to some of the bits on there about uh, the environmental stuff but Yeah, for sure usually around Earth Day there's a, a number of playlists that include include that you know the, the top environmental songs in the world. And and the, the people we focus on are probably the ones that are actually like ourselves that are aim, aiming at young people and have specific songs that, that have educational materials related to them and so on. But I'd also say, mm -hmm. speaking of educational materials, there's also listings there of uh, links to studies that have been done about using music for education, tips and tricks for songwriting with kids and so on. So it's a, it's a good stop. Always welcome to have new ideas to throw on there. I'm sure there's a few Green Teacher Magazine's uh, articles that we could uh, connect in with that. I would imagine. And I'll have to dig. <laughs> I, th I, I think there may be already, actually, now I think about it. And there's actually an article by this guy named Peter Linton, <coughs> which, uh, which is actually quite quite brilliant. And, and actually uh, has that little story that he told earlier about the, the fellow and <laughs> holding his hand so the, the, about, and using multiple intelligences and so on. So I'd highly recommend going there. That's beautiful. I really love, um, and this is what, the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network does as well is hopes to provide a place where people can get resources. So if you want to look at the way that music, I mean, I've looked at it, there's all kinds of important things in there. And whether you're a teacher or an educator or a parent or an older sibling and you're looking to engage songs for ee.wordpress.com or Facebook and search for songs for ee you're definitely going to find some awesome information in there and talking of you know going starting this in 1997 and, and building and building as over over the decades I suppose Where, what's the future what, what what have you got left to explore what what things are you passionate about developing over the next while Oh my, that's uh, no pressure. We could yeah, spend easy all, question. We could spend all day <laughs> talking about that. I, I mean, that's one of the things that's that's been a sort of a surprise benefit of the COVID time is that we found ourselves uh, unfortunately not able to tour, but with that extra time, you can pull projects that have been on the back burner for so long because of touring. You can you can start to bring those to the fore. So in this day and age with there being so much con connectivity by so many people. It's an excellent chance for students and, and families to share what they're learning about environmental literacy and, uh, and environmentally literate lifestyles via social media. And, and also the idea of doing sort of multimodal or multimedia approaches to arts creation. So we might be, you know, writing songs where we're almost in a clandestine way. We're tucking the learning outcomes or curriculum connections that we want the kids to learn into the lyrics. 
So the kids just think they're singing along with a sing-along song, mm -hmm. but they're actually ticking off the things that teachers want them to learn. So that's just in the song itself, but then you can sort of inspire kids to make videos about the songs that they're helping write. They can then do video pen pals with other classes in other countries. And, you know, you see a program like the, uh, is it called Songs Songs for Change, where they record little bits of a, of a song in all different countries. Yeah, and then they and then piece it, it yeah, puzzle piece it together, that's it. I love that. Uh, like those kinds of things, I, I, I think there's almost unlimited potential to do that. And, and one of the things that, that makes me really excited about the future is you know we may hear in the in the media about a really high profile figure like Greta Thunberg, but there are legions of young people that are as motivated, like an army of kids that are just waiting to have the space to share their gifts and 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 to have their voices heard, mm. and and so I, I think it's just getting them together, getting them acquainted with the technologies. And then you can have the the youngsters themselves are actually peer teaching versus it coming down from us more vintage folks. On high, yeah, they they connect with that. Mm. I do, uh, I do peer teaching where they learn a few facts, and then they teach in this like running succession of of students moving their way through the environment about the particular plant or thing that they're standing next to, and. Um, I had some really uh, grumpy high school students who were not into it and he had his earbuds in and I could hear like the gangster rap from six feet away and I was like, take it out, you know, I need you to do these things. I was like, well, if you don't want to, he's like, I'm not doing this. I was like, okay. I was like, well, you like rap music? He's like, yeah. I said, well, why don't you rap this? I mean, it seems rap seems to be a thing. That's what all the cool kids are doing. I, I think other kids like other types of music. But anyway, this particular guy rapped um, about this particular forest fern and it went down a treat. Uh, so I think all ages can be engaged. Um, and I like, I like the way you're engaging technology because it has been a, a bastion of connectivity during these pandemic times. So I, I have nothing but love for it if we can make that work. And both, both Peter and I have done uh, online concerts. We were both fortunate to be part of the Canada Performs uh, National Arts Centre program last a year ago, well, a little, and a mm -hmm. little less. And then we had a, I, I was able to be on a local one here with the Yukon Arts Centre. And, and of course, the, the work that Peter and I did uh, developing the videos, it was, a, it was an alternative to touring. The tour got cancelled because of because of COVID restrictions, but we were able to pivot and, and do those. So we, we learned an awful lot doing that. So both individually as our artists and together, I think, um, you know, the next little while is to uh, just just develop that, you know, uh, create a, a greater presence on YouTube, do more concerts, uh, do more collaborations. There's a, uh, an app called Acapella that we were able to have different, different, uh, basically sing with yourself if you wanted or with to have different sections doing that remotely. So we've, we've experimented with that. That's awesome. I, currently, I took on a full-time teaching job out in Canada's most westerly community of Beaver Creek. So uh, I don't have a lot of extra time, unfortunately, until that school year ends <laughs> uh, at the end of May. But, uh, you know, I'm able to fit a few things in here and there as say this concert coming up. But uh, after that, hopefully this, this summer and beyond, we'll be able to dig in a little bit more. Well, and, 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 and Remy really is a sort of a gleaming example of, of someone who will, will gently push people who are interested to try things that are slightly outside of their comfort zone. Um, I, I know when we were on tour together up in the Yukon, 
we were mostly working with elementary-aged youngsters. And then one of the teachers that Remy knew was saying, you know, can you come and do something with my high school kids? And I'd be like, like I'm willing to try different things, but perhaps a little bit hesitant. And, and Remy was very encouraging. And he was saying, oh, we, we can just, uh, we'll just change this this way and let's just give it a whirl. And and so to, to have um, that kind of a influence is, is something that you really appreciate because you, you get pushed a little bit and then you realize, especially if you're doing it in collaboration with someone who's so confident and has so many great ideas that you can have success in, and reach a, a larger cross-section of ages and different groups. So I really oh, appreciate uh, that. That's really nice. <laughs> um, and just to throw it in there, but you can order uh, Peter's music from Puffin, that's P-U-F-F-I-N dot C-A. And uh, Remy's two albums are available at the Outdoor Learning Store. And that's outdoorlearningstore.ca. And it's, amongst other places, you know, a great place to buy music and, and have something you can hold and use and keep uh, forever. Some adults can be so bad. So I follow my dad, I still follow my dad, I love my dad Well I turn off every switch in the house he leaves on For soon the power brawl will be gone I think it's time for us to explain again Green kids on the loose Green kids on the loose Green kids on the loose Just say no to plastic. Before we go, because um, I like I like it, and I'm pretty interested. Um, I'd love you to tell me if you've got a real, like, quite a quick but interesting story about when when things did not go well on stage. If there was a moment where things did not go as planned. Oh, I can definitely share. I can share one that almost went wrong um, <laughs> with with. Uh, w- both Remy and I really like using the wireless mics because it gives you a chance to get right out in the audience and make eye contact with the, the kids and the teachers, you know, and the parents. Um, it's amazing how quickly the grown-ups will join in as soon as they're given permission to do so. But so, you know, we often get to a venue as early as we can ahead of time so we can set up and do a sound check and everything. And then there's the inevitable run to the restroom before you start the show. <laughs> and we're, we are often still wearing our cordless microphones. And, uh, I think you know where this is going. Beautiful. Don't get out of it. <laughs> there's a little switch on the side that you need to remember to, to turn off. And I, I always have remembered to turn that off before. But I have heard of someone who did uh, do their mic test and then they still had their mic on and uh, everything was broadcast to about a thousand people in the gym. Oh, ooh, very oh, nice. <laughs> Remy, have you embarrassed yourself intensely? Oh, well, it, I, I, I have to tell this story because it's really funny. And this is an, an Enviro Songsters song. So um, one of Peter's songs, he talks about the love, love my dad, my dad, and is, is, is part, of, part of the song, right? And uh, of course, nobody here can see us. We Peter and I are actually about the same age, but 
very young, kept super of, young. He's kept all of his hair and with with a wonderful color to it. I've lost a lot of my hair and it's quite gray when it grows in. So I, I could see where this might have come from. But at the end <laughs> of the concert, one of the kids comes up and says, I bet my friend here that you're Peter's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, is it true? I, I'm sure you're you're <laughs> you're Peter's dad, right? Oh, said, kids are annoying. No. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Unfiltered. I don't, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think take things personally, oh. but uh, it was kind of funny. We yeah, had a good laugh. Yeah, we, <laughs> That's do. classic. And, and and it was just such a great reminder of how honest kids are. Right? Oh, yeah. I think you were oh, yeah. alluding to that earlier, Ian. That uh, hmm. it, it's it's a wonderful thing to to work with a group that are so authentic. I've had the most wonderful time chatting with you gentlemen. Um, oh, so fun. Yeah. Creativity and giving people the opportunity to express themselves, particularly in a world that is more complex and more worrisome and full of, of intense things and some of the things you talk about in your songs are quite deep and dark, but you, you, know, you present them in a way that's uplifting and has hope. And so I'm really thankful for that and I will utilise your resources in my work as an environmental educator going forward. And so I'm really thankful for what you're doing for the world of environmental education and, and for kids, you know, the next generation. Here, here. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for what you're doing, actually, and with these, these podcasts and so on, to spread the good word. <laughs> I always feel a bit self-conscious on these rare occasions when we get to be interviewed that I, I hope there will be another time when we can ask more questions of you guys, because it, it feels a little one-sided or lopsided or something. That'd be like great. Us getting to just answer <laughs> questions, but... Uh, I sure hope we'll have a chance to cross paths and trade tales at another time live. Yes, live. yes, I'm gonna oh, yeah. run. Or I'm gonna run some uh, like environment and science festivals as soon as we can open up, and I'm gonna book the pair of you for because I'm running Wild Sight Revelstoke now, and I'm gonna you are. I'm gonna give you all my grant money. You're gonna come. I'm gonna sing and dance and. I'm, Put in for this massive inflatable screen so we can blow you up so people could socially distance even <laughs> All and right. still hear you yeah and a sound system bring you in on our eco shiitake we didn't talk about this but something peter and i've been talking about for 10 15 oh, 20 yeah. i don't know how long long time is about a traveling environmental show that would go from town to town across canada and incorporate local conservation groups and it'd be like a big celebration of the environment that would have music and song and theater to bring bring people in i can do so. the theater thing as well i can do charades i can do create a play like i can do all that jazz yes woo collaboration